Thank you for your love and thank you for the ways that you show us your love. Thank you for creation and um, just the beautiful day. Thank you that we get to gather here today and for the community of believers. Thank you for your word and what we get to learn from it. And help us just to be still this morning and listen for you and open our hearts and teach us something and let that change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And while you are doing that, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll be in that passage we read a little while ago. Just uh, uh, the songs that we've sung, a, a perfect lead-in from the second song talking about um, that His blood really does take care of everything. Um, that we can sit here this morning and rest knowing that our sins really are forgiven. To the song after that of, of when we recognize that and when we gaze on His beauty, uh, the desire that He has for us to follow Him. Um, and really the, the charge, the, the challenge for us, to, are, are we going to follow Him in all of His ways? And then the reminder in the last song that, um, I don't know about you, but, okay, I, I get that. I, I hear His blood has covered my sins and I want to follow Him. And then at times you, you, you doubt and say, is He really present? Is He, is he really loving enough and strong enough to take care of even that? And just a reminder that, yes, His love is strong. Um, as we kind of sung through the Sermon on the Mount in that last song of His care for us, His protection of us. And then our response in, in praying and, and asking that His kingdom would come, that His will would be done. And so, as we think about our time of worship, let that to sit and rest on us, the truth that He loves us and cares for us as we look at God's Word this morning. We have been talking about over the last couple of weeks uh, that God has called all of us, every one of us, from the least to the greatest. And I'll let you decide what we mean by least to greatest in here. Um, he's called all of us to be what we call fruit pickers and seed planters. But that is what uh, the God of the universe says that everybody in here has to do. And last week, we specifically kind of fleshed out what it meant, at least one aspect of what it means to be a fruit picker. We talked about what it means to be in God's Word and that we are called to be in God's Word on a regular basis in community. That as we, as we look at God's Word, it is, it is helpful and necessary that we do that in community in some form or fashion apart from what happens in here on a Sunday morning. We believe, because Scripture teaches, that the proclamation of the Word is important. But if this is all you get, then it'd be like having a diet of honey. That may be really good, but if that's all you ate, you would be malnourished and you would eventually die. Because you know what honey is, right? It's just pre-digested food, right? And so if all you get is what happens here, you get pre-digested food. I've digested some stuff and I'm just spewing it out. You may think it's sweet or not, but it's not sufficient for you to be a well-nourished believer. 
And so you need to be in the Word on a regular basis, in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This morning we're going to flesh out the other half of that. What does it mean to be a seed planter? Um, We're not finished talking about fruit picking this year. We're going to come back to that, especially during the season of Lent before Easter, as we kind of flesh out several spiritual disciplines uh, and how we can go about strengthening uh, our relationship with God through the things that we do. But this morning we're going to talk about seed planting, particularly the idea of disciple-making, but also the idea of evangelism uh, a little bit and what that looks like. And for some of you, that idea of talking about making disciples or evangelizing, emotions may run through your head. Anywhere from joy and excitement, and that's my favorite thing to do, to sort of fear and dread and a feeling of inadequacy. And what's really nice, regardless of where you come from or how you think about either one of those words or both of those words, um, is that uh, this passage is both challenging and encouraging because that's what Jesus is. He is at the same time challenging and encouraging. He's at the same time someone who has extremely high standards but also an extremely high level of compassion and grace. He is at times dead serious about what he says and the commands that he gives us, uh, but full of grace and mercy. He is the Lord of the universe, but he's also a friend of sinners. And this passage fleshes that out. So wherever you come from this morning as you think about seed planting, evangelism, or making disciples, uh, encouraging people, believers and non-believers, to understand who God is, to gaze at His beauty as we sung, and to follow Him. Um, I think this passage has something for all of us. And what we're going to see this morning, three ideas that I want us to to think about. Uh, Number one, worship is a natural response to the risen Savior. Number two, all of space and time are in Jesus' domain. And number three, we are called, all of us, again, from the least to the greatest, we are called to go and make disciples. So those are the three ideas we're going to look at one at a time. You'll see each of those things up here again. If you don't get all those down now, you will see each of those again. So number one. Worship is a natural response to the risen Savior. Context. This is after the resurrection, uh, and in some previous conversation, there had been an arrangement. The disciples were going to go to Galilee and meet Jesus somewhere. And so they show up, and they see Him, and the text says that they worship Him. And then there's this sort of this phrase that's stuck on the end of that. It says, but some doubted. And I think, well, that's sort of the way my life sometimes works. But what we notice not only here, but in in place after place after place in the New Testament, worship is a natural response to the risen Savior, even if doubt is part of what's going through my mind. And we could add many other words. We could add doubt. We could add fear. We could add apprehension. We We could add apathy. We could have add ambivalence. But when we see the risen Savior, the natural response to that should be worship. And so, 
First question we need to think about this morning. Are you worshiping God? Because for those of us who are believers, we have an opportunity to gaze through His Word and through the power of the Spirit to gaze upon the risen Savior. And do we worship? Is that something that's a part of who we are and what we're about? Corporately, for example, on Sunday morning, it's a necessary part of what we do to gather together. That's part of why we gather in this room and do what we do is because the body of Christ is commanded to worship our Savior. And so if we did nothing else, if we never opened this book, if we didn't pray, gathering together to worship is still a worthy attribute of what the church does. We gather together on a regular basis to worship. Now, personally, I think that worship is more than just singing. It is praying. It is spending time in and responding to God's Word. But do we do that corporately? Is that part of what makes up my mindset of of how I behave and how I respond as a believer? But then also individually. Do I worship individually at at home? Do you spend time praising God? Do you spend time magnifying Him and thanking Him and praising Him for His character, for His characteristics, for what He's done for us, not only in, in redemptive history, but in our own lives specifically, how He's blessed us? See, because... Worship is not just this thing that God commands us to do just because. It's actually, it's actually good for us. Paul talks about in, in Romans 5 that, um, that Abraham increased in faith when he gave glory to God. So during that, that up and down life of Abraham, and we've talked about that before in here, of, of his faithfulness and then lack of faithfulness and his faithfulness and lack of faithfulness. And at those times when he should have just chunked it all and given up, he chose to worship. And Paul says that worship, when he chose consciously and deliberately and intentionally to praise God, his faith increased. And so worship is good for you. Worship grows our faith. And so that little kind of almost this, that throwaway description at the beginning of this passage in verse 16 is not, or verse 17 is not throwaway at all. It is the foundation to what the rest of that passage is about. Despite their doubts, they saw the risen Savior and they worshipped Him and then were able to receive what He said. And so for us, Day in and day out, the question we have to answer is, are we worshiping God? Number two, all space and time are in Jesus' domain. What's interesting, and we're going to get to those commands in a second about going and making disciples, but what's interesting is how Jesus begins that and what He says after that. So He gives them a command, but He sandwiches that in between these two aspects of who He is. And if we forget who He is, then we very likely will forget the commands or won't take them seriously or think that maybe He just didn't mean that for us. 
So he begins in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Not some of the authority, not a little bit of it, not I'm in control of this but not that. I'm in control of Tim's life but not Howard's life. Right? All authority. He is completely in control of everything. There's nothing that we're going to face this week or next week or the week after that God is not, doesn't have authority over. I, the, I love the, the way they, they paraphrase that last song that we sang, the way they paraphrase that Sermon on the Mount. Why do you worry? Why, why do I worry? Why do I freak out? Right? I mean, that's what the Sermon on the Mount saying. Why do you get so bent out of shape about food and clothing? God really is in control. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? All authority. So when I'm thinking about, in a minute, making disciples or evangelizing, God's in control. I don't have to fear about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. God's in control not only of, of my situation, but He's in control of the person that I'm talking to situation. And then He gives them this command, and then He ends with, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this one who's in control, who has complete authority over all of life, is present with us. And sometimes I think we just need to sit and let that sink in. But we just celebrated Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. What an amazing truth. Why don't, we, why don't we embrace that? But instead, if you're like me, sometimes like, well, I can do that. Tim and I were talking this week about how often it is that on something that I'm comfortable with and familiar with that I don't pray about. Oh, I've got that. Well, and, and, and maybe I do, and maybe it'll work out okay, and maybe I can handle it. But why would we not, the, the God of the universe is with me, why would I not pray about every little thing? And so he begins and ends these commands with this idea that he's with us and that he has all authority. And so the question we have to ask, are you trusting God? Right? Are you worshiping God? Second question, are you trusting God? Because what in reality, His commands really are best for us. He actually knows the way we're made, knows the way we were created. His commands really are good for us. The writer of Hebrews talking about the Israelites in wandering in the wilderness, it said, the Word of God did not benefit them. Why not? Why didn't it benefit them? Was it, was it not good for them? I said no, because they didn't, they didn't take the word and combine it with their faith. In other words, paraphrase, they didn't bother to obey. They didn't trust God and obey, and so therefore the commands weren't beneficial to them. But if we trust Him and if we obey, then the things that He tells us to do actually are good for us. So are you trusting Him? His commands actually are good for you, and He actually is with us. When we trust Him, we know that He goes before us and goes with us. And what's the most amazing thing is, 
When we step out in faith, even if we do something dumb or stupid or at some point in time our faith falters like Peter when he got out on the waves and go, I don't know what I'm doing here, and we start to sink, His presence also comes behind us and offers us grace and mercy. See, Paul also talks about in, in several places that, that our faithlessness never nullifies his faithfulness. Our faithlessness never nullifies his faithfulness. And so therefore, kind of the big idea is God's faithfulness should motivate ours, should motivate us to continue to trust. He is with us, and so therefore we can trust him. God's faithfulness should motivate, motivate our faithfulness. So then third, verses 19 and the beginning of 20, the command, we are called to go and make disciples. And there are kind of four key words or key verbs in this thing that kind of flesh that out for us. Um, first of all, we are to go and we're to go, he says, to make disciples of all nations. Now, let's think about what that would have meant for those guys in that context. If they're thinking, I've got to, I've got to go and make disciples of all nations, it wasn't just, I've got to go next door, or I've got to go to Jerusalem, I've got to go to the temple. And granted, in God's mercy at the beginning of the church, He brought lots of the nations to them. But nonetheless, for a devout Jew living in the Middle East in the first century, to go meant to cross several boundaries. One, obviously, a geographic boundary. Go necessarily meant they had to step out of and away from their home. They actually had to cross a geographic boundary. Number two, it meant they had to cross a religious boundary. I've got to go talk to Gentiles who are unclean and dirty. And my whole life, I've been told I can't talk to or associate with or eat with that kind of person. So they had to cross geographic boundaries. They had to cross religious boundaries. And they had to cross ethnic boundaries. They had to deal again with people that were not Jewish. And so as we think about for us, what does it mean to go? We have to ask ourselves that question. What boundaries am I not willing to cross? We'll come back to that in a moment. So make disciples, next verb, is simply to create followers. That word, make disciples, is used both for evangelism, talking to, making a follower out of a non-believer. It's also used in that culture in other writings for uh, the way we relate to believers, helping them become better followers. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Making disciples is evangelism and it's also helping people who are already believers become better followers. And then there are two more verbs that kind of flesh out what that looks like. Baptizing, um, one of the ways that we make followers of, of, of people is we help them come to a point where they're ready to make a public identification that they have changed allegiance what baptism was in that culture. It is a public confession that I have changed allegiance from my way of doing things to another way of doing things. And so according to Jesus, baptism is a, 
is a part and parcel of what it means to make a disciple. That idea of publicly proclaiming, I have changed allegiance. I'm going to stop building my kingdom and try to help build God's kingdom. And so, if we make disciples, we are necessarily calling them to change their allegiance and to do so publicly. And then last, teaching is simply passing on truth, including this truth. When Jesus says, teach them all that I have commanded you, that includes this. And so, while some people might say, well, that's just for those 11 guys, not for me. Well, yeah, it is for me, because that's part of the truth that was to be passed on. So this command is applicable to each and every one of us, again, from the least to the greatest in here. And so, we come to a question. Are you making disciples? We talked a couple weeks ago about seed planting. Everybody is called to seed plant. You are called to make disciples. That means you are called to evangelize people who don't know Christ, and you are called to come alongside brothers and sisters and to help them walk closer with their saviors. We've talked about in 2015. Our goal, do you know and love God better, and do you love your neighbor better? We can encapsulate what our purpose is in those three things. Do we know and love God better? Is that our goal this year? And do we love our neighbor better? And everybody in here is called on to help somebody else do that. This command to go and make disciples is all of our responsibility. And so a couple of other questions as we think about that. If if that's applicable to me, what borders or what boundaries am I unwilling to cross? Think about those disciples and having to cross geographic and religious and ethnic boundaries that they all their life were taught. That's a no-no. How does that apply to us? Are are you willing to cross a geographic boundary for the sake of making disciples? Are you willing to cross a socioeconomic boundary, a linguistic boundary, an ethnic boundary in order to make disciples? Or it may be, for some of you, as simple as are you willing to cross a, a, a property line boundary to talk to a neighbor? Are you willing to to cross a personal time boundary? Well, I'm busy. I have these activities that I like to do and I don't have time to invest in the life of someone else. Are you willing to to cross that boundary and maybe obliterate that boundary for the sake of somebody else? And that's a question that we all need to think about in 2015. What is keeping me from obeying the command to go and make disciples? Second question we need to answer for ourselves. Do I know what needs passing on? But if I'm to teach them all that God commanded, which we have recorded in this book, do I know that well enough to pass it on? Maybe for some of you, 2015, as we said last week, is that year when you finally figure out, okay, what does this book actually say? If I'm going to pass on truth to somebody, I need to know what that truth is. And that may require for some of you spending time in this book and getting someone to come alongside you and say, would you help me understand what's actually going on so that I can pass it on to somebody else? I mean, it really is a, it's a never-ending joy and 
feast and banquet that we sit before in this book of what God has done and what He will do and what He is doing. And so if we think about, again, those, those big pictures that are you worshiping God because worship grows our faith? And are you trusting God because God's faithfulness can motivate ours? We say, are you making disciples? Well, the command this morning is obey the Great Commission. As we look into 2015, we say, what, what does God want from me? Well, here's what He wants from us. He wants us to obey the Great Commission. For some of us, that means making a decision today, what border, what boundary do I need to cross in order to pass on what God has already given me? For some of us in here, it's, I really need to know this better so that I've got something to pass on. Some of you may need to spend some time this week praying, God, would you show me where I am and what I need so that I can take the next step so I can be obedient. And some of you need to contact somebody else in this room and say, here's where I am, here's what I need. Would you help me get from where I am, point A to point B? Or would you do that with me? Would you pray with me about my neighbor or my friend that I know that I need to talk to? Some of us need to have conversations this week. Pick up the phone, send a text message, invite someone to lunch and say, here's where I am. Here's where I know God wants me to be. Would you help me get there? And when we do that, right, then other people, because of our faithfulness and because of God's graciousness and mercy to us, then they too will see the risen Savior and then they too can respond in worship. And that brings glory to our Heavenly Father. And that's a good thing. That's what He's created all of us to do is to bring Him honor and glory and praise. And so as we move into the new year, there's already ten days behind us, will we take this command seriously, to go, to cross boundaries. Those don't have to be something that requires a passport, but for some of you it may be. It may require that you take a step across a yard or across a street or... For some of you that you begin the process of learning another language so that you can communicate with someone who needs to hear the gospel. My prayer for all of us is that we would um, take seriously God's command to make disciples of all nations. That necessarily begins here in Cherokee County, but again in God's graciousness, He's brought several nations to us. Back in the fall, we gave every family a, a copy of Operation World. What a great way to begin to allow God to instill in you a love for the nations. Um, if you've fallen out of the habit of going through that as a family and reading it, I would encourage you to pick it back up in the new year. Uh, this, uh, these last couple of weeks, the first couple of weeks, uh, it's not focused on individual countries. It's focused on praying for the world at, whole, at, at large. would encourage you to read through uh, those first, I don't know how many pages it is, first 10, 15, 20 pages. Um, and kind of get a big picture of what God and how He uh, sees the world and, and the issues that, that are prevalent in our world today. And then over the next couple of months, um, in Operation World, you're going to pray for different continents, big geographic areas. As you do that as a, a family and individuals, would you ask God to give you a heart 
for the nations. That may never mean that you leave Cherokee County. But I think we need to have the willingness to have a heart big enough to, to love and pray for those around us. One of the things, because all of us can't go everywhere, uh, we support missionaries. One of the missionaries we support are John and Jan Baxter, uh, who work with the idea that sometimes I think because the church has failed to go like we need to, God and His sovereignty has moved vast amounts of people as immigrants all over the world. And one of the things the Baxters do is, is seek to empower and equip people where they are to deal with rapid and mass influxes of people who are immigrating or moving due to persecution or jobs or whatever the, the reason may be. God has brought the nations to certain cities all over the world. And so part of, uh, as you give generously to this church and we are able to give generously to the Baxters, uh, part of that mandate of going is being met. And so I, again, would encourage you over the next uh, weeks and months to pray for this world. And if you don't have, ask God to give you a heart not only for the world, but for your neighbor. Uh, for the town of Andrews, for the town of Murphy, for the community of Hanging Dog and Brasstown and Culberson and Ranger and Topton and all the places that we are spread out in this county, that he might be glorified. Uh, and that ultimately this county would be changed as people worship the risen Savior. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for just that you in your mercy and in your sovereignty saw fit to allow us to know you through your Son. God, I ask that you would change us and that we would be your people. That our neighbors and our friends and complete strangers would see in us you, your love, your compassion, your joy, your mercy, your grace, your truth. God, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us to be your people, that you might be glorified. And we look forward to what you will do in and through us for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.